Hello, and welcome to the Parabiblica for the Perplexed. In this episode, we'll be covering a few of the smaller works from perhaps the most common parabiblical genre, the Apocalypses. The apocalyptic genre is incredibly broad, and understandably so. It is commonly thought to refer only to the end of the world, but it is actually not strictly eschatological. The word simply means a revelation. The genre does have some common themes, though. They often involve important biblical figures, used to give the book more authority, experiencing revelations. The revelations tend to involve strange metaphorical visions, often with animal characteristics, a theme common in the Nevi'im Achronim, the latter prophets, and the second half of Daniel, the only Jewish biblical apocalypse. They often see the end of the world, or some grand judgment, such as the Apocalypse of John, which is where the association with the end of the world comes from. They usually receive a tour of the heaven or hells, often with some angelic guide, a theme that continued later throughout the Merkava or Hechal literature and many Midrashim. Given how broad this genre is, there are unsurprisingly many works that fit under it. One such work is the Apocalypse of Sedrach. In its present form, it is clearly corrupted, an obvious indicator of being the title itself, as the name Sedrach does not line up exactly to any biblical figure. There are a number of ideas as to who this could possibly be, the most compelling, in my opinion, being Shadrach, the friend of Naniel who survives the furnace. Other ideas include a corruption of Ezra's Greek name, Esdras, or a completely new prophet, given that Josephus testifies that there were still claimed prophets far after Malachi, typically thought of as the last Jewish prophet. Regardless, I will be referring to this figure simply as Sedrach throughout. Their surviving text also refers to Sedrach's guide through the heavens as Christ, but most scholars agree that this is a corruption of some angel's name, likely Michael, whose name I will be using instead. Finally, the current version begins with a clearly Christian sermon that is incredibly likely to have been a later Christian edition. Even with these omissions, it is possible that the original source was Christian, but its Jewish character makes a Jewish author far more likely. It was likely first written in Greek around the year 300 CE. The apocalypse proper begins with an angel greeting Sedrach, who wants to ask God his questions and have them answered. The angel takes him up to the third heaven, where he sees the, quote, divine flame, likely an allusion to the burning bush, although the connection of God with fire is not uncommon and not necessarily a reference to the burning bush specifically. From the fire, the voice of God emerges to welcome Sedrach and ask him about his complaint, with emphasis placed on God as the creator. Sedrach proceeds to ask why God created the world, the seas, and all good things, to all of which God replies that they were created for mankind. Sedrach then asks why God destroys people if the world was made for them. God responds that he is man's creator, and so he is responsible also for his discipline. It should be noted that this and the following dialogue likely draw extensively from Eov, Job, in both style and content. Sedrach then states that because of the harshness and fire of God's punishment, it would be better for man not to be born at all, and asks God why he bothered to create man if he did not plan to have mercy on him. This heaven-hell system described indicates that the text was composed later, as it draws heavily on Hellenistic ideas, though these ideas are not necessarily Christian, as is often assumed. God replies to Sedrach that he commanded Adam not to eat of the tree of life, but the Satan deceived him into disobeying this command, 
Interestingly, in contrast to Breshit, where Adam and Chava, Eve, eat of the tree of knowledge, not the tree of life. To this, Sedrach replies that it was God who created the circumstances leading to Adam's temptation. He then gives a description of the fall of Satan, similar to the one found in the life of Adam and Eve. God created man and then commanded the angels to bow to him, but the Satan refused to bow to a creature made from earth and was expelled from heaven. This description parallels later Jewish thought on the fall of the Lucifer from Yeshayahu and the beginning of evil in the world in contrast to the older and more familiar description from Sefer Chanuch. Sedrach then asks Ga'ad why he didn't kill the Satan, as he can corrupt without being seen and fights against God. Sedrach then asks for God to cease punishment or punish him alongside the wicked. To this, God responds that he gave man great wisdom and rulership over everything on the earth, but man sinned and went astray of his own volition. He compares himself to a father who gives a large inheritance, but decides to revoke it after his son goes astray. This anecdotal style bears some similarity to the parables found in the Gospels. Sedrach repeats that he created man in his temptations, knowing that they would sin. He repeats his request for all mankind to be saved. God responds to this by pointing out the beauty of the first of mankind, Adam and Chava, who he compares to the sun and moon, respectively, in beauty. Sedrach asks him what the point is of creating such beautiful things when they will not last forever, and points out the contradiction of punishing man and also telling him not to repay evil for evil. Interestingly, this command is found in closest form in the Epistle to the Romans, which may suggest that this is part is a Christian interlopation, or that both the apocalypse of Sedrach and Romans drew on a shared source or tradition. Sedrach then suggests that like how the mule, the smartest of quadrupeds, can still be guided by man, that God send angels to guide man away from committing sin. God replies that this would remove man's grace, but he still has sent angels to watch over them. Sedrach replies that he knows God loves man, and also many other things that he lists most of which seem to have some association with purity in other contemporaneous Jewish texts, such as sheep, olives, and grapevines, and that man loves them also. This is perhaps a suggestion that man prefers good, but is tempted to sin regardless. God then offers to ask Sedrach a question that, if he can answer, will prove his claims. God asks Sedrach how many people have been born, died, how many hairs they have had, how many trees and leaves there have been, how many waves have formed and water droplets fallen. This response draws heavily from Eov, Job. Sedrach responds that only God knows these things, but repeats his request to save man from punishment or punish him as well. In response, God sends Michael to take Sedrach's soul to paradise, but when he requests it from Sedrach, he refuses. Michael then states that he was commanded by God to take his soul. Sedrach asks where his soul is, to which Michael replies that it is spread throughout the entire body, and describes how it leaves the body after death. This description distresses Sedrach, who, takes, who asks for some time to cry and lament over death. There follows Sedrach's lament, in which he points out how the mighty ha head, hands, and feet are in life, but how quickly they are lost to death. He asks why the soul is placed in such a temporal body, only to be separated so soon for judgment. Michael tells him to stop crying, promising him eternal life in paradise after death. 
Sedrak then asks to speak to God once more before he dies. He asks God, how long would someone have to live in repentance to be forgiven if they lived in sin for up to 100 years? God responds that it would take three years, interestingly a very anti-Pauline sentiment, further suggesting Jewish character. Sedrak replies that three years is too much, that many will die before being forgiven. Sedrak urges him to be even more merciful, and God lowers this period to one year. Sedrak asks again, saying that one year is also too much. God again relents and says only 40 days. This back and forth bears noticeable similarity with Breshit Genesis 18, where Avraham pleads for the lives in Sodom and Gomorrah. Following this, Sedrak asks Michael to help him appeal to God. He and Michael together ask God the ways in which one can be forgiven. God responds that one can repent, pray, sing, cry, and moan. Following this is a lengthy passage about evangelism that is likely a later Christian interlopation. After this, where the original text likely continued directly to, God explains that man exists in three stages, and that God watches over and encourages repentance throughout youth, adulthood, and age. Sedrak once again asks God to have mercy on man, and God lowers the number of days to 20, and promises to also save Sedrak's followers and those who read his book. Sedrak finally gives up his soul, and Michael brings him to paradise, which may describe his conventional death, or may be a description of an, of an ascension like that of Hanukh or Eliyahu, Enoch or Elijah, and the apocalypse ends. Another one of the smaller apocalypses is the original Apocalypse of Elijah. There are currently two separate works that stem from this original, a well-known Christian apocalypse, sometimes referred to as One Elijah, and a clearly Midrashic Hebrew medieval apocalypse, occasionally referred to as Two Elijah. There are a few other sources that likely also preserve fragments of the original, including a quotation in Paul's epistle to the church at Corinthians, and a later Christian pseudepigraphon attributed to Titus. The original Apocalypse was probably composed in Hebrew, and was written at least before the mid-first century CE when Paul wrote, and is likely earlier. I will, very tentatively, attempt to reconstruct the basic structure and content of the work below, so I suggest you take it with a grain of salt until a more scholarly and critical reconstruction is available. The text starts by introducing its prophet, likely using the passage in Malachim, Kings, post Carmel, when Eliyahu is contacted, fed, and shown a vision by an angel as a sort of jumping-off point, painting the angel who contacts him as Michael, who shows and describes to him the main contents of the apocalypse. He is instructed to pass the words off to the people of Israel. At this point, Michael shows him the punishments experienced by the wicked. This is alluded to briefly in both the Christian and Hebrew texts, but probably survives most fully in the Titus quotation. He sees Gehenna, here a valley in the west, where souls are punished according to their deeds. It is constructed of fire, brimstone, and pitch, where many hang or are punished by different body parts. These correlates with the sins that they have committed, highlighting specifically the blasphemers who are hung by their tongues and the sexually deviant who are hung by their genitals. This is likely followed by the quotation from Corinthians, stating that no one has seen, heard, nor conceived of the reward in store for the righteous. It is possible that this served as a sort of introduction to a description of paradise, or may have stood on its own to say that it is not something that can be known. 
similar descriptions or denials of entry as the previous two may have also been included about the fiery throne room or the battling of stars. Both common apocalyptic themes mentioned briefly in the Hebrew text. Following these introductory visions, Michael describes to Eliyahu the events leading up to and including the coming of the Messiah. These events begin with a description of a large war. Both the Hebrew and Christian texts likely adapted this passage to match their specific audience, so not much can be said with certainty about the original. It likely discussed Assyria and Egypt, and may have discussed Persia and Rome. They both mention as an important figure a king from the West, but disagree as to whether or not he represents a positive or negative figure. Many of the apocalyptic sections in the Nevi'im Achronim and Daniel are explained, including the Four Kingdoms, a popular subject among apocalyptic authors. At some point during these wars, the Jews will be gathered together in either Judea or Babylonia, which will seemingly offer them some protection from the war while other lands are destroyed completely in the crossfire. The Persians seem to win out and briefly rule righteously, likely drawing on the positive view of Cyrus the Great in Jewish thought. During this time of peace, the Armelus, the Jewish anti-Messiah figure, will rise up. His physical appearance is described. He will have a long face, be mostly bald save a tuft of gray hair on his forehead, have large eyebrows but very skinny legs. He will be able to perform many miracles. He will have many followers among the Jews, but there will also be many who oppose him. These he will torture and kill with his followers, but the followers will later be offered redemption. Some of the righteous flee, but others attempt to fight him, insisting he is not the Messiah. They are captured and burned, but both them and those who fleed are promised reward. Following this, many of the Armelus's followers will abandon him. Seeing all this, the true Messiah rises up and sends forth many angels of destruction. As he, God, and the angels together battle the Armelus, his remaining followers, and the wicked nations, the angels Gavriel and Uriel lead the righteous to salvation. A time of peace exists in the world for a while, fulfilling the messianic prophecies, and the final day arrives, although there is little agreement between the two texts on what the final day entails, ending the apocalypse. Many of the apocalypses are found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Unfortunately, only small fragments of these survive, and it is likely that some of them were once much longer than the fragments preserved. Many of these apocalypses were sectarian, written and used only by the very specific Qumran community, and these may be covered later. Some of them, though, are likely not sectarian, and were circulated and read more widely by Jews in general. One such apocalypse, 4Q246, is also known as the Aramaic Apocalypse. It is occasionally referred to as the Son of God text, due to its use of that famous title, or occasionally the Apocryphon of Daniel, due to its similarity to, and therefore possible attribution to, the second half of Daniel. The scroll was likely written near the end of the 1st century BCE, but the text itself may be slightly older. It describes what seems to be a scene of a prophet divinely interpreting a vision had by a righteous king. It states that the Ruach HaKodesh came upon him, and he began to prophesy. He states that the rule of the king will come to an end, and the king's vision of wrath will be realized upon the world. He says that there will be much slaughter, and that a ruler will arise and conquer Egypt and Assyria. It states that he will become a ruler over all, 
and then begins to describe his son. It states that his son will have many titles, including Great, Son of the Most High, and, perhaps most interestingly, Son of God. This is a title that would have been somewhat broad in the ancient world, but it is especially interesting to see it used so early in regards to Messianism. This connection, of course, would later be expanded and increasingly taken literally, and eventually become a core concept of Christianity. This description specifically matches a description found in Luke, which may suggest a literary connection between the two. In this document, however, he and his father seem to be negative figures. The interpreter states that they will reign only briefly, explaining a metaphor about meteors that presumably preceded the surviving text, and the violence will continue. He goes on to say that only then will the people of God rise to power, who will instill a just and eternal kingdom and create peace with the help of God, likely an allusion to the many prophecies about the Jews returning and having a strong kingdom found in the Nevi'im Achronim, the latter prophets. It concludes by saying that God will rule eternal over the earth. This document is still the subject of much debate by scholars. Another apocalyptic scroll under debate by scholars for similar reasons is 4Q521, the Messianic Apocalypse, which is also occasionally referred to as the Resurrection Fragment due to its discussion of, among other things, resurrection of the dead in regards to the Apocalypse. It was written in the 1st or 2nd century BCE, and discusses a coming Messiah. It states that the Messiah will command the heavens and the earth, and everyone will listen to the commandments. It urges the reader to seek out God, as he will be faithful and just to the righteous and pious. Interestingly, using the word Hasidim, Hasidim, for pious, a designation often thought later and specific to the Pharisees due to its early use in the Gemara. It says that God will be with the poor, renew the faithful, and establish an eternal kingdom. It then quotes Tehillim 146, saying that God will liberate captives, heal blindness, and straighten the bent. It urges the reader to stay with the godly and the hopeful, promising that everyone will have food and that God will do great things. It then quotes Yeshayahu, Isaiah 61, that he will heal the wounded, liberate captives, bring good news to the poor, and revive the dead. The fragment breaks off, saying that he will lead the uprooted and rich in the hungry. The reason this scroll has been the subject of much talk is because, similarly to the Aramaic Apocalypse, it discusses a messianic age with a lot of associations also found in the Gospels. You may have noticed some of these. Prominent among them are the healing of the sick, good news to the poor, and the resurrection of the dead. Once again, it shows the developing messianic ideas that will come to a head nearly 200 years later in the Gospels. And so concludes this episode of Parabiblica for the Perplexed. I hope you enjoyed this selection of Jewish apocalypticism. If you did, please consider leaving a good rating and review. Please join us next month for Parabiblica for the Perplexed, the One Enoch Anthology.